When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Journey through the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands this year that matter? Yay. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corder. When you think of iconic Bonnaroo sets, 2012, Radiohead on the what stage has got to be one of the great ones of all time. The what podcast. Sorry, myself, Brad Steiner from WDOD Radio Hits 96 in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Barry Corder from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. Welcome again, Barry Corder. Week three, Week episode three. three of this. Isn't that great? Yeah, what a great way to start. I'm glad we picked that. It took me back to that 2012 show and that line when I'm king, because I remember another media type trying to make a big deal that um, Tom York had looked up into the brand new at that time VIP section when he sang that line. Like, when I'm king, I'll get rid of you guys oh, right yeah. away. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, catch yeah. that part. Yeah, I just remember that. I didn't know uh, if he was reading too much into it. Probably. Let's <laughs> probably. be honest. He probably was. Tom York doesn't do things that are not perfectly suited for each individual moment. So, it or, yeah. was very possible. Or ill-considered. And That's... speaking of uh, the day I'm king, when I'm king, we got the kingmaker today. We do. How exciting is that? Yeah. We reached out to uh, the man himself, Ashley Caps, one of the co-founders, and he spent some time with us on the phone talking about the evolution of the festival, which mm. again, I think is a great reason to have started with Radiohead. The best part of Ashley, you know, you can have an opinion about where the festival has been and where it is now and how it has uh, moved and maybe left some people behind. You can talk about the, the new ownership. You can talk about the changes. But boy, the thing that's really refreshing to me is that Ashley Caps still is a true blue music fan. And oh. he's at all the shows. He is still dedicated to the product and he is ingrained in it just as much as we are. I, I feel as though his sweat is our sweat. Yeah. And that's the best part of the entire festival. The people that are putting it on really, really do care. That's absolutely right. Yeah, when you see him, he's in his shorts and T-shirt and chacos like everybody else <laughs> with his list, and he's walking from stage to stage. He's not a big VIP right. four-wheeler or right. whatever mowing people over. He's walking <laughs> from here to there just like you and me. Today, not only are we going to go through Bonnaroo 2018 and Bonnaroo's of past with Ashley Katz, we're also going to fill you in on some of the changes that the festival has gone through this year. It's unbelievable from my first year of being a Bonnaroo how just camping has changed. It was a free-for-all out there 
15 years ago. But now this year, I look at some of the amenities that are out there. It's worth every dollar I spend yeah. on the camping. The camping price at this point is really, really well done out there. Yeah, I made a comment the first week uh, jokingly that, you know, you're there. There's not much else to do, so you might as well go see the music. And, and I thought about it later, and that's just wrong. There's plenty to do there. Yeah. Um, I guess in my head when I said that, we've done it enough that, you know, we've seen some of the things at yeah. Santa Rue, but every year is something different. Right. And, and, and to go back to talk about Ashley a little bit, um, I've had the opportunity to talk to him since the beginning each year. That's awesome. And he has been consistent from day one that it was going to be an evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they took a lot of flat years three and four and five that it was no longer a jam festival. It was never in his mind, and he said so, supposed to be that every year. The reason they went with that particular lineup was that they needed people who would camp in, right. what, in what you just described, you right. know, the harshness of it. Uh, they didn't have VIP then, and boy, they do now. Yeah. So not only are we going to go through that with uh, Ashley, also tell you how you can win Bonnaroo passes with those very camping passes added on to it a little bit later on in the podcast. So let's get to it. Ashley Caps, the subject of today's The What Podcast. First of all, thank you, but I, I want to take you back a couple of years to actually Forecastle. I don't know if you remember, but I introduced you to Brad in the uh, bourbon tent. Oh, I'm sure this. I'm sure this is going to go well. And, uh, and first of all, uh, and you expect me to remember this? No, right? but I'm going to ask Brad. Is that what if, you just said. I'm going to ask Brad if he remembers what he said to you, oh, and, and then I'm going to say your reaction was to look at me like, "Do we need to call security?" Which is a which is a perfectly legit. I have no earthly clue what I'm saying. Okay, might have said. well, it's important. It's relevant. Okay. You you said to him, you you know, hello, and then you thanked him. You yeah. thanked Ashley for saving music. I actually believe in this. Yes. Yes. I no. actually I I've, I've had this argument with people before. I think that that Bonnaroo and and the festival culture saved not only live music but it transformed the entire industry. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's it, quite a thought. It's it's a little over the top, but but I don't disagree do for a living. Yes. <laughs> I don't disagree with him because I remember, and this is where I wanted to start with you, Ashley, is I remember thinking after about the second one that this is why I got into writing about music in the first place. It was a, it re-energized me, and I think that was Brad's point. Do you hear that ever from anywhere else, Ashley, and, and what are your thoughts on that? I think I hear that in, uh, you know, expressed in different ways, and I've never thought of it in quite those terms, but I think... Um, in some ways, it's true for me as well, because in those days, I think uh, we were, you know, I, you know, as a promoter, uh, as a concert promoter, and uh, as a music fan, I think it, w- it was a moment where we were kind of looking for a way forward, you know, and and trying to break the mold of the standard concert presentation that was going on. And looking for new ways to engage people socially and also to uh, excite people, I think, by, uh, by presenting the music in, in a really exciting way and in a context that uh, connected it to a greater whole. And so I think all of those things were 
We would never have stated it that way at the time. You know, this is kind of something you think about in retrospect. You know, I think it's an interesting thought because it did transform uh, people's experience of music in certain ways, at least here in the United States. Obviously, that that culture had been uh, alive and well in Europe for decades, which is one of the things that uh, encouraged us and inspired us to uh, jump into the festival business here in the United States, even though here in this country, the uh, you know the history of especially rock festivals was uh, uh, checkered, to say the least. There were none, really, that had sustained themselves year after year after year in a single location and actually established themselves as a, you know, an annual must-see experience. I would say absolutely that. And also, you know, just remember 2002 to 2001, music that was popular was very produced, heavily produced studio things. So live music, festivals were not to be seen, not to be found. And even live music was sort of in a in a weird place. So it, it really was transformative. So Well, I guess the reason I said that is because I don't think that the industry knew what to do and how to make money. The CD was basically the only way that you could make a lot of money really quickly. And other than big tours, what was really making money those days? I mean, small club shows? How good were the, the small club shows here in, in Chattanooga or up the road in Knoxville, and were they making a lot of money for the artists? Uh, and no, were they getting are, exposed those, those to... Those were a really, really tough business then. And, and were they and, getting you know, exposed to enough people, too? I think part of the transformation is that, and I don't know if you can directly trace this to festivals, but I think I could at least make the argument that festivals have introduced people to a tremendous amount of new music, and, and artists who, you know, some play clubs, some play theaters, some play auditoriums, some play coliseums, some play arenas, uh, and it, I think it's in many ways um, invited people into different levels of music experience as well. So these days you certainly see um, attendance at clubs and uh, and other smaller venues, you know, probably at a peak. Think about it from the artist's perspective. You imagine a world where if Bonnaroo doesn't exist or a festival doesn't exist, does a Portugal the Man exist? You know, Portugal the Man started a tiny stage at Bonnaroo. This is 10 years ago when they were right. barely getting booked. And, you know, they moved their way up and up and up. And all of a sudden they have a number one single on top 40 radio this year. Yeah. How does that happen if they don't get a shot in front of a very diverse crowd, a very engaged crowd at a, at a festival like Bonnaroo? Well, those kinds of success stories are... Uh for me, one of the great pleasures of uh, you know the you know what we've seen emerge from festivals. I mean, there are a number of bands that we've uh, had the opportunity to grow with, and that have had the opportunity to grow with us. And it's uh, you know I don't think you can simply attribute it to the festival environment, but it can often give a band, especially a great live band that has that ability to connect with an audience instantaneously regardless of that audience's familiarity previously with the music you know if you've got an artist who who can do that then festivals offer an unprecedented opportunity to launch your career actually last week on on the show we talked about just that very thing and for us we're looking at uh, 13 apiece i think we've we've been to when the lineup came out two years ago to be honest it wasn't or even last year it was sort of you know there weren't all the 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 ones on our list maybe our our must-see list but then we we realized 
we're going to go and we're going to discover a whole bunch of new music, and that's a fun thing. And I, I can c- tell you many years coming home with a whole handful of brand new favorite acts, you know, big and small. So that's kind of what you were just talking about. I mean, I, I didn't know who my morning jacket was until Bonnaroo several years ago, uh, on and on, uh, Bahamas, Portugal, the man. So that is a big well, part me, of that, it. What you're describing to me is one of the great characteristics of any terrific festival, you know, any really well-programmed and curated festival experience because, you know, who's kidding who? We all tend to gravitate towards the familiar, at least initially. So, you know, you look at, you know, what do I know there? And uh, I think we all probably tend to, to some degree or another, approach a festival experience with a a list. You know, I got it. First, I'm going here. Then I'm going over there, and I can't miss this over here. But, you know, the beautiful thing that happens is you meet people and you get distracted. Friends, your new friends, maybe your old friends, encourage you that, you know, instead of going to see that band that you saw last year, why don't you go over here and see these guys are going to blow your mind. Yeah. And, and so you end up going, veering off of your path, uh, so to speak. And then, uh, you know, through that, I think often people come away with the highlight of the weekend being something that they had never heard of before that weekend. That's an incredible opportunity to be able to discover something new and to tap into your own passion in that way. You said that you you have a point of pride when you see uh, artists that grow along with the festival. Do you have one in particular that that sort of stands out or a couple in particular? Well, you know, My Morning Jacket's the classic example. You know, I... I mean, watching that band grow year after year after year, and they were so ingrained in the whole ethos of the festival, you know, almost from the beginning. You know, I I would say they're the ultimate example, but there are other smaller examples, too. You know, sometimes bands almost grew too fast. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) you know, I I remember, uh, you know, I've got a couple of, uh, you know, semi-embarrassing stories, you know, if if anybody knew what Mumford and Sons was supposed to do the first year they came to the festival, <laughs> we ended up changing the plan a little bit as they were taking off. But you know, and also Phoenix the first right. year. You know, I think Phoenix the first year was supposed to be like one of the cafe acts. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and you know, and and so uh, you know, sometimes the you know you 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 have the opportunity to see this growth uh you know before your very eyes and you also realize that it's not just about your festival but it's it's about the the whole environment that's out there that uh enables music fans to uh tap in and weigh in and uh, help to grow somebody's career because it's all about the fans when it all comes down to it i love hearing you you talk about making your list because one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, uh, a couple of reasons, obviously your invo- your actual in job. You also are a fan. I see you there every day, and your you know your chakas and your your list, your program, whatever, and you're heading out to see a show. 
Well, apparently not if there's a bourbon tent. <laughs> well, that was forecast. <laughs> he was on his way, but... What I wanted to ask you about... I thought the bourbon tent at Forecastle was one of the headliners. Yeah, it is, honestly. <laughs> it's awesome. What, there's a couple of things. The, the I saw you last year at Angelique Kijo, probably, I don't know, a couple hundred people. But the McCartney thing, you and I spoke the next day for quite a while. And that was such a moment for so many people. But I remember hearing from you that that was, as a fan... Just like for me, that was a huge moment. Those types of things that can happen at Bonnaroo, the big and the small. Absolutely. You know, to me, scale is not necessarily a factor. It's that ability of an artist to connect with you as a member of the audience. You know, Angelique Kija is an amazing performer. And that was, you know, I had been hoping to present her at Bonnaroo for years, so it was wonderful to be able to finally do it. And that was such a great show. At the same time, even though he was in front of a huge audience, Paul McCartney had this just extraordinary gift to make you feel like he was just playing for you and your friends. I mean, there was such a yeah, you know, in spite of the scale of the whole experience, it was it was very intimate. You know, in a way that it kind of sounds crazy, but uh, you know, he, he just—I mean, obviously he's Paul McCartney. Uh, you know, and, but his his gift for being able to communicate so directly or or make it feel so direct to everybody in that audience was uh, extraordinary. The ability to command 80,000 people or 80 to 100,000 people in silence is probably the hardest thing in the world to do and that show uh, in and of itself is maybe the greatest musical highlight of my life and and this is coming from a, a guy that was never really a Beatles fan but to stand behind two people who were uh, dating uh, right before Live and Let Die. He uh, uh, drops to one knee and, and asks her to marry her. And then literally the next song is Live and Let Die Fireworks. It's like he called Ashley Capps himself and been playing this, this show. But from, from the headliners to the smaller cafe acts, the, the common theme has always been for Bonnaroo, music first, the art matters, and that art takes a lot of twists and turns. It takes a lot of uh, left-right turns and then finds itself into a, probably a genre that you've never expected to find yourself in probably 15 years ago in EDM and creating an entire wing of the festival just for EDM, huh? You know, the, the most exciting thing to me about the music business in general is how it continually reinvents itself. You know, while p- people as individuals often tend to stick with music that they grew up with at a certain period in their life where they have certain life-changing experiences whether it's when they you know meet their first lover or their wife or you know first leave home you know all of the different things that that these rites of passage that we all experience as uh, as humans I think uh, music itself is continually changing. In order to say to stay fresh and relevant and with our finger on the pulse, we have to be open to that change as programmers, and um, and, and that to me is you know it's what keeps me excited about coming to work every morning. You know, if you were doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, it would get to be a little old. Introducing new musical trends into the mix is not only smart from a, you know, business perspective, but it's also what music is all about.
what was the discussion leading up to that? Because you guys didn't just say, hey, this EDM thing seems to be picking up some steam. We ought to throw, you know, a few acts on the stage. You guys totally reconfigured an entire portion of the uh, the campus there, the you know, the center room. Well, we did, but we didn't really do it overnight. We've always had electronica as an element of the festival for, you mm-hmm. know, almost since the very beginning, if not since the very beginning, you know. And uh, so it's always been woven in. And I think, you know, a couple of years ago, we just made the decision, let's, you know, let's go there. You know, this is obviously something that, uh, you know, the younger audiences are, are really embracing in a huge way. Let's embrace it also. And, uh, and because, like many great musical experiences, the environment is a really important part of that the experience of that music. That evolution will be on display this year at Bonnaroo. This is the What Podcast with myself, Brad Steiner, and Barry Corder. Bonnaroo Vets. This is a podcast by Bonnarooians for Bonnarooians. The WhatPodcast.com. It's also a place that you can get Bonnaroo tickets. We'll tell you how to get Bonnaroo tickets here in a second. But first, let's go through some of the changes at the festival this year. When I uh, started getting the emails this week, Barry, I started looking back and, and reading some of the changes. I mean, it's astounding. It really is bizarre going from what I saw when I was camping from the first year to now. I, it's a different world. I mean, I'll never forget the first year that I camped, and I don't like telling the story very often, except I like telling the story all the time. <laughs> it was very early. It was like year two, and I was camping in maybe the last pod that existed in the history of Bonnaroo. It was so far away. At the time, if you took the wrong turn, you're gone. I mean, you could walk and walk and walk and not know where in the hell you were going. And we took the wrong turn one day. And at the time, they were letting like everybody camp just at a a free-for-all. So I remember there was something on fire. Then there was a guy peeing off the top of his van And then a girl who was butt naked ran straight up to me, grabbed me by the throat and slithered down my body. Yeah. That was the free for all that was camping 15 years ago. It's a tad different now. And that was before breakfast, right? Right. Yeah. It's like three, four o'clock in the morning. Now you can do karaoke with T-Pain. You know, I'm a little, I'm a little upset that 15 years ago I had to get karaoke with T-Pain. My son had a similar, uh, I asked him the year he went, I said, what's the weirdest thing you saw, you saw? And he watched a girl strip naked and climb a man as if he were a tree. <laughs> and he just, he would like move his elbow and knock her off and she'd go to the ground and then climb me again. Hey, that so, was my mom. Yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> those two were married. And when you think about it, the field and that's all it was. It was a seven acre, seven hundred acre farm mm-hmm. that you pitched a tent or a plastic tarp yeah. or a bungee cord or whatever. No trees, no shade, mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, whatever you brought, and I don't know about you, but I was not nearly the experienced camper. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> My first year, I showed up and had a an umbrella in the truck accidentally. I had I did think to bring two sawhorses and a small piece of plywood that ended up being a table, and I strapped the umbrella to that table with two bungee cords. And as the sun rotated, yeah. we moved the umbrella because that was the only shade we had it's during the just, afternoon. It was just survival. Yeah, it was Lord of the it Flies. It was Lord of the Flies for sure. Point. Year after that, I remember being in my tent. As the storm came through, thinking, I hope this rubber air mattress keeps me from being electrocuted, because if not, I'm dead. Uh, Yeah. There was nowhere to go. Right. So, yeah, now, I mean, I remember writing stories 
the year they planted grass and a couple of trees as if this was the greatest thing man invention of mankind i totally they planted grass the 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 dust year oh, was, was the worst. worst experience ever uh i remember being in the in the there's a set there used to be a set of bleachers there next to the witch stage i was in that bleacher thing and uh standing on the top level of the bleachers and i just looked back at just brown soot covering everything and then the next year they overseeded and planted grass yeah. and you walk through on thursday i could have rolled around naked yeah it was yeah. phenomenal and it's still the grass is still there depending on sunday right uh, which is why it's so important which is why i brought it up but that dust bowl year was a saturday evening we had gone back myself and ashley white who was our photographer we'd gone back like most people did to sort of eat and get cleaned up for the parade and we went walking into center roof for the parade and i thought wow this is big time they've released smoke bombs for this parade (laughs) (laughs) this is high tech and then i thought no that's not smoke it was tough then i i was convinced i had legionnaire's disease when i got home (laughs) Boy, the things you can convince yourself at Potter. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah. what, whatever I've snorted was not healthy. <laughs> but now, I mean, so they put a lot of effort, as you know, in the last couple of years into the VIP areas, adding the yurts, and right. the tents that you could rent, and right. they, they're ready to go for you when you show up. This year, they put a lot of effort, apparently, into those campgrounds, mm-hmm. the general camping is. The Grove looks beautiful. The Grove, and they're they're having artists go out there to perform. Mm-hmm. Throughout the days at different times, there's always been art projects in there that you, you, it's hard to explain, but like just a giant field of yarn <laughs> that everyone could change as it goes. You know, it might look one way when you're way into Cinaru sure. and it looks completely different later that night. Right. And depending on what sort of recreation you've been doing, it can look completely different. And that's the whole idea. But now they've added, uh, they've got more vendors out there. The food alone is yeah. phenomenal. I can't I can't remember. You travel around the country. I don't know if I get better food options than I get at Bonnaroo. That's a fact. Poutine. I'd oh, never heard man. of I, it. I missed that poutine truck. Where has it gone? I, I don't know. Where's that poutine truck gone? I, well, you guys kept talking about this poutine, poutine. <laughs> I, I thought it was a euphemism for something <laughs> rude. I was too embarrassed to ask. Yeah. But, but man, if you've never had poutine, as soon as I took a bite, I said, that's the greatest hangover. We had four in, in the in history. Two days. We had four things yeah. of it in two days. It's really good. Oh. The, the, uh, the chili dogs, right? The uh, corn dogs. Well, we call them cray musties. Cray musties. Yeah, because you got to get a crazy amount of mustard on it <laughs> and get them cray musties. And of course, the spicy pie. The, yeah. Is there anything better in the world than spicy yeah, pie? Yeah, it's really good. What, what, else, what else is in the campgrounds this year? What else am I seeing back there? Uh, they've added uh, Wi Fi, which they always say that, but there's so many people and everybody's on their phone trying to send a video to their friend. So that's a joke. Right. But, so here's. But they here's, do have it. I'm, uh, here, Permanent look, showers. As somebody, as somebody who has to work this event every year, I like that the Wi-Fi doesn't work because I can just tell everybody at work, ah, I just couldn't get a signal. That's true. <laughs> I was going to keep that part a secret. Uh, they've increased the trading post, yeah. uh, the bathrooms. I mean, that's always been an issue. Showers, uh, water stations, you know, for filling up your uh, water jugs. Um, they've added, uh, increased the garage. Uh, they call it with that big giant yeah. car that drives around. Yeah. Um, that garage is actually really, really cool. Yeah. Again, shade becomes right. such a premium. Yeah. You remember the first year that it had that one pole in the <laughs> middle of the field, and it cast a shadow about 45 feet long and about six inches wide, and yeah. people sat in that <laughs> shadow and moved like a clock dial. Yeah. 
And uh, now they've added all kinds of the, um, not just trees, but those canvas, those right. colored canvas types right. of things that they have a name. Let, let's do this. Let's give away some uh, Bonnaroo tickets. Uh, let's qualify you for Bonnaroo tickets. All you got to do is go to the whatpodcast.com and down at the bottom where it says contact slash win. Click on that. Tell us a fun camping story from you, from maybe years past that you've seen a Bonnaroo. Maybe something that happened in the grove. Maybe something that happened in the garage. Give us what you've seen a Bonnaroo, and uh, we'll put you in for uh, Bonnaroo tickets to whatpodcast.com. But back to Ashley Caps, the subject of this week's The What Podcast. You've got to be really proud. That's got to be one of the big points of pride, Ashley, that you can see everything around you and where it started. The evolution of the campgrounds, the evolution of the festival grounds, that's got to be a major, major sense of pride for you. Well, it is. Uh, and, and, you know, it's um, watching the evolution of the entire thing is, uh, it's been an amazing experience. You know, I often tell people, like, if, if, if we had started thinking we had to be at a certain point, you would never start because it would be impossible. But, um, you know, you know, if you evolve, if you're constantly, if you just engage in the process and you're constantly asking yourself really one question is how can we make this more amazing next year than it was this year? You know, how, how, you know what else can we do, whether that's from a musical perspective or from an experiential perspective? And experiential can mean, you know, the types of vendors, the types of food, the visual design, the lighting, the decor, and, and but also the amenities, you know, and and you know, showers and bathrooms, running water—that's huge for a lot of us. And um, and so all of that also it, it builds, you know, it, it's like a foundation, and you're continually building on the foundation that, that happened the year before so that, uh, you know, you can never rest on your laurels. It's always, you know, how can we keep this fresh and exciting and new and, um, you know, and, you know, do everything that we possibly can to make it an unforgettable experience for everybody that comes. So, so that's that's been the major motivating principle that we've had from the very beginning. And uh, I think it's one of the things that's helped to set the festival apart over the years. I remember you telling me probably year two or three that, that you wanted this to become like the European festivals where it became a rite of passage and an annual thing. And to be honest, I don't think I quite understood at the time, but it's, it's amazing to me now to go and talk to people who you know, this is their 15th year or 10th year. They started their senior year of high school or they met their now wife or they're bringing their kids back. Uh, and even the bands, I've run into bands that, you know, saw it in high school and dreamt of one day. So um, it's, it's it's amazing to me that you guys had that vision and uh, and have made it happen. Um, and I don't I don't know that people understand that. I think for some reason, there's that vision in a lot of people's head that it's still that first year. Uh, the ones that have not been. Yeah. You know? it's either, it either well, needs to be the first year or my exact playlist right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hardly know where to begin, but, you know, it, you know, I now know so many stories. And, you know, I see bands who played the festival 15 years ago come back to play the festival with their kids and, and their family in tow. 
you know every you know sometimes you know if they can and it's rare but it happens an artist will camp out with his family for the whole weekend and and just make a weekend of it instead of just a stop on a tour i know of bands who have played the festival who the the members of the band melt met at Bonnaroo mm. before they had ever formed a band. Who was you know, that? They were inspired who was by Bonnaroo to form their own band, and they did, and it hit, and they've played the festival. Who was that? Uh, Who's that, know. Ashley? Uh, MGMT was one. No kidding. Yeah, those guys met at Bonnaroo, and that's where they decided to form a band, and they did. I didn't know that story. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, you know, you certainly have parents who, sometimes couples who meet at the festival, get married, have kids, and now they're coming to the festival with the kids, and it's uh, getting to the point where the kids get ready to come to the festival on their own. Yeah, it's around. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's something that, uh, you know, it's inspiring to watch, and it's something that you see, I mean... In in my head, the uh, the iconic festival in this regard is Glastonbury, mm-hmm. and I think that you know that's certainly where you see multi generations from, you know, very very young kids to you know grandparents, you know, and uh, you know everybody you know completely enthralled by the entire experience, and I think uh, that's. That's a really beautiful thing. I get really obsessed with thinking about the technicalities of this uh, festival. You know, I I get really, really in the weeds sometimes at at camp. If you ever uh, stop by Camp Nut Butter, uh, me and Barry will be talking about the infrastructure. We'll be talking about running water. We'll be talking about electricity. Uh, I get really into that sort of stuff. But then I, I also start thinking about, especially on the off times when I'm not at the festival, and this is even goes before Live Nation uh, took over. When you guys are, are building a list of, of artists that you want to fill the blanks in, who's in that room? Who are the people that are compiling the experience that 80 to 100,000 people are going to see? Um, you have an EDM stage now. Do you have an EDM guy that you turn to? Like I, w- that guy knows his EDM. Like, do you have yeah. like an indie alt guy that you like? That guy knows exactly. He's the one that showed me Japanese breakfast. You know, do you have those kind of guys? How big is that experience inside the room? Well, you know, as far as the actual band booking experience, you know, there's at least half a dozen or more that contribute to that process, and we all have our passions and our interests. And our specialties, if you will. So, so you know, it's a it's a, a very lively conversation, and it's mm-hmm. been that way from the beginning. We we sometimes fight, we sometimes agree to disagree, uh, but we also learn from one another. It can be one of the most maddening parts of planning <laughs> the festival, to be perfectly honest. But it's also one of the most rewarding. And uh, you know, I seldom leave one of those conversations, and they they're intense. You know, they can be once or twice a week. In, you know, for six months leading up to the festival, and I seldom leave those meetings without a playlist of thing of new artists that I want to check mm-hmm. out because you know everybody in that room loves music and they love what they do, and they also love discovery. They love introducing new acts that they've discovered into the conversation and uh, ultimately into the program. Sometimes that takes you know a year or two or three or four years because there's so many factors 
that go, come to play in what, in what the lineup ultimately looks like. You know, we, we don't get to sit there and just choose. Right. You know, it depends on whether an artist is touring, yeah. you know, whether they're in the United States or maybe touring elsewhere in the world. There are just so many different factors that can uh, that come together that, you know, ultimately determine what the final lineup actually is. So there's, on every level, a tremendous amount of give and take continually. And you take it seriously, too, because yeah. it's a room full of tastemakers, that's for well, sure. I, I, can hear, <laughs> I can hear listeners to this podcast screaming, even though I can't really hear them. Who do you want to go see this year? Who is that on your list of maybe the new people that you definitely are going to go check out? Wow. I haven't made my list yet. Okay. Uh, but, you know, to tell you the truth, we've got three festivals before Bonnaroo. And so, uh, you know, I, I still haven't dug into what I'm going to do with those yet. So, um, well, you, you, so you, you know, the other thing that I've learned about Bonnaroo, to be honest, is I, I, I don't make a list quite the way that I used to before because, for me, Bonnaroo is definitely a social experience. That's right. It's, it's almost like a family reunion. There's yeah. so many people that come together from literally all over the world for that weekend. Sometimes that might be the only weekend that I really see them, but they still feel like really great friends. And so there's that aspect of the experience that's uh, come to, you know, in some ways dominate what the weekend is all about for right. me. Because of that, I'm the one that gets uh, led to all sorts of things that uh, I may not be that familiar with because, you know, as I described the booking process, you know, it's not always my taste. It's not always uh, my selection. And sometimes, you know, especially now, there are some uh, new artists in there that I discovered that weekend myself. The best Bonnaroo plan is to not have a Bonnaroo plan. Yeah. That's essentially the best. And let and let this, let the experience come to you. Or the best plan is to, like, make a plan and then not worry about it when the wind blows it away. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or if the rain comes, or like in 2000. Yeah. Final, final thing, we'll wrap up. Do you have any news to break this year? Do you have anything that... Uh, we don't know of just yet? You know, I mean, we're still, um, you know, the Super Jam announcement's still to come. Yeah. I think we've got some special guests. You know, the, there's the Grand Ole Opry this year, which I'm really excited about. Sure. And there's going to be some special guests with the Grand Ole Opry, so we can't wait to tell people about those. You know, some of that is still being discussed. Bon Iver's got his special show. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, digging, it, it, I'm digging and digging and digging to every industry contact that I have to try and figure out what in the hell those two sets are going to be. I'll be <laughs> honest with you, Ashley. I'm very well, I confused. Think, I, I think one of them is going to be a, a, a Bon Iver concert. Yeah. And the other one is, you know, as best I can tell, still in Justin's mind. Yeah, I think, he's, boy. He's still thinking about what it's going to be. And, uh, you know, I think we, uh, none of us know. And, uh you know, but we do know that we can trust Justin yeah, because and, it's going to be amazing. And you so. won't know until probably that Saturday. You probably won't <laughs> uh, know. There, there's a, I'm sure we will not know all of it yeah. until then. Really an honor to talk to you, and thank you so much for taking so much time with us. A, th- a thrill of a lifetime, honestly, each and every year. You've created something really, really special. The, own, the entire team has, and it's, it's nice that you guys seem to have such a, a firm grasp on it and still have the thing as your baby even through all the transition. Congratulations. Well, you know, thanks for having me. I, I love to talk about it. It's, uh, we do it's too. been such yeah. an amazing experience. It's, it's uh, hard to believe that it's been, this will be year 17 yeah. 
So nice. we've been kind of, we've been working on this thing for 18 years, and it's uh, it's really an amazing experience to be able to to do something like Bonnaroo that has that touches so many people over so many years. It's a it's it's a special opportunity, and I'm very grateful for it. And we're grateful for you. I mean, yeah, a third of you. my life has been tied to Bonnaroo. A third of my <laughs> life, isn't that crazy? That, and I'm just sitting here thinking, I I get in a tent and sleep on an air mattress and yeah. use a porta potty once a year. Yeah. And, and I can't wait. You, Ashley. Thanks a lot, pal. Thanks a lot. Okay, well, thank you, guys. I Thanks really so appreciate much. it. And we appreciate you, Ashley Captain. We appreciate you for listening to the What Podcast this week. Next week, very excited, we talk to the Revivalists. If there was one artist that we got more comments about in the first three weeks of this podcast, other than the Revivalists, I don't think that there was one. It's all been Revivalists, Revivalists, Revivalists. For sure. And uh, there were a couple of survive, uh, surprises. There were a couple of surprises in that uh, interview. Yeah. Uh, we talked to them about uh, their first time there and, and what to expect this coming up. Yeah, and I was shocked to find out that they have actually been to Bonnaroo before. Yeah. The Revivalist, the star of next week's podcast, we will be on the air with the Revivalists. We'll be focusing on some of their music and uh, tying it back to New Orleans culture, where it all started for Bonnaroo. Probably listen to a little bit of music from another New Orleans artist yes. that's going to be there, right? Little yes. trombone short- it, shorty. Indeed. The whatpodcast.com for Bonnaroo tickets. Anything else this week? No, I'm just excited uh, at all the reaction and the comments that we've been getting. Uh, I think we've uh, hit on something that people enjoy, and we're under 95 days now. Or wow. under We're coming up on 90, Wow, depending on when you listen to this. So uh, it'll be here. Yep, we're getting closer and closer by the day. We'll see you next week. TheWhatPodcast.com, Bonnaroo tickets, and The Revivalist next week. Talk to you then. <laughs> Journey through the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year, that matter. Yay. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corner. 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 When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.